how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. This episode is brought to you by IronJohnGear.com. In between your creative pursuits, make sure to check out Iron John Gear for top apparel, footwear, fitness items, outdoor supplies, sports gear, and much more. Visit the website for top deals on things like lanterns, backpacks, tents, snow clothing, bomber hats, sunglasses, fishing gear, and more. Visit ironjohngear.com today and save money on your next adventure. In addition to Iron John Gear, make sure to also check out Freelancer Class, where you can learn how to become a freelancer full-time or part-time. The online course will teach you how to make money online as a writer, marketer, designer, personal assistant, accountant, or salesperson. Stay tuned after the show to learn how to get access for free to this $99 valued freelancer course, along with some other free items on our website, creativeprinciples.live. Danish painter Ana Wegner pioneered the fight for gender reassignment surgery at the break of the century. Portrayed by Eddie Redman from The Theory of Everything and My Week with Marilyn, Wegner became Lily Elby. She was one of the first to undergo the controversial and risky surgery and did so with the support of her wife, Gerda. Directed by Tom Hooper from The King's Speech and Les Mis, The Danish Curl is beautifully written by Lucinda Coxon as it invites the actor to exist between any expected cliches of a transgender film. Rather than dwell on sexual scenes or medical queries, the film is a romance, inviting audiences to follow along as two people love one another. I began in the theatre. I'm a theatre writer who sort of crossed over, um, and I crossed back periodically. Um, so that, that's really my, um, that's my background, and that's how I, that's, yeah, I drifted across. I, I, you know, I worked in a theatre when I was, like, still at, you know, in my teens. I worked as a dresser backstage. I really loved all that. I, didn't, I think I didn't imagine then I was going to be a writer, but that was what I really, you know, that was what I really loved. That film came later. What led you to writing uh, The Danish Girl? Oh, The Danish Girl. Well, um, in 2004, I was uh, sent a copy of the novel by the uh, producers, Gail Neutrix and Harrison and Linda Reisman, um, asking me if I was interested in adapting it. Um, they'd seen, a, they'd seen a, another film, a film I'd made in, in the UK. Um, and at that point, I... I'd never heard of uh, I'd never heard of the novel, and I'd never heard of the underlying true story. So, when I realised it was it was it was the, you know it was based on this historical fact, um, I was amazed really because I had no idea they were doing gender confirmation surgery so early. Um, and when I read the novel and researched around it as I went, really just to try and 
gauge the extent of the, the fictionalization and, and the places where the novel had departed from what we knew of the truth. Obviously, we only know so much. Um, I was just, uh, I, I found the love story in the novel just breathtaking. Uh, I found the, the love story between these two people, the, the story of this marriage and, uh, you know, of these two artists working side by side. I, I found it incredibly moving and um, inspiring. And uh, so I, I was really, you know, before I knew how the story ended, I was very committed to it. Uh, so, I, yeah, I was in. I was a very easy sell. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, in addition to that, like, can you elaborate a little bit more on the research involved for this story? There was there was quite a bit of research. The research was quite was difficult. I mean, there wasn't an enormous amount available. Um, the you know the, the the story had been largely forgotten. Um, I think there are you know there are all kinds of reasons for that. Partly that you know queer history and women's history is often you know swept away. But but also. I think it was it was a great deal to do with the period and and what else happened in Europe you know in the 1930s. Um, so, for example, Lily Elba's medical records were all held in the uh, the women's hospital in Dresden, and they were destroyed when the hospital was destroyed in the Allied bombing in 1945. So there were, you know, in that respect, um, the records had, had literally been you know that just didn't exist anymore. Um, but there was a, there's, a, there's a slightly unreliable memoir that's a work of many hands that I was able to look at. They had friends who um, kind of, you know, wrote about them in, in memoirs who were, where they were included in other people's stories. And, you know, there, there was a certain amount of uh, material available that were academics who'd done work on them. And, and of course, you know, their, their art had remained, and so there were, there were stories around that. And, you know, in a sense, they documented their own lives through the paintings, um, so that there was there was that material to work with uh, also. Uh, so although you know there was, I have to say there's a great deal more material available now than there was then uh, because of the rise in interest in, in transgender issues, and also I think simply because of the way the internet has developed, um, so that you know academics across Europe and and America you know can share information so much more easily. Okay. Uh, what were some of your creative influences, like film or theatrical, um, either growing up or for this film in particular? Uh, well, growing up, I think I, I, you know, it's, I always say to people that if I, you know, when I go to the theater, what I really want is a sense of, I want the kind of sense of wonder I had when I went to see pantomimes when I was four years old, you know, that, and it doesn't, I, I want that sense of, intensity and peril and you know thrill um that i that i had then um and i think in a way with this film although you know i was approached because of my work on another uh, on a on a kind of period love triangle i think in a way the fact that i that i wrote to the theater was really germane um and and was in retrospect it was very important because i think it this was a project where you really needed to get under the skin of it and i wanted to create something that was very um intimate and almost claustrophobic where you really got inside that marriage and went the distance with them and felt the highs and the lows with them so that you know you really kind of empathize with them and and the end of the story felt inevitable because you'd gone the distance in that journey and i think in some ways that's quite a theatrical process to be quite so you know 
to be quite so inside the story. There isn't there isn't a real distance perspective on it. Um, so I think I mean I didn't I wasn't particularly conscious of that I think at the time, but I can see in retrospect that that for me writing it um, was you know it was I mean every project is hard work in different ways and a joy in different ways, but with this it was. It really was like a kind of, it was more like the pearl diving experience of writing a play where you hold your breath and you just go under and don't come up for quite a long time. You know? um, what kind of like time frame was involved with the research and the actual writing process? Uh, well, I think I, I started in, um, in, in, in 2004 and we had quite a, um, we had a script, you know, within a couple of years we had a script that we were very happy to send out um, but we then and I, and I think we were all very excited about it and I was I was fantastically naive because I you know when you fall in love with something you always think that everyone else will be in love with it as well and what we found with this project is that we uh, you know actors were very uh, very much in love with it and uh, we had a kind of queue around the block for women who wanted to play Gerda um, and very, you know, very accomplished and well-known actors who wanted to play Gerda. But um, but the subject matter made it extremely difficult to finance. Uh, and I think I hadn't anticipated quite how difficult that would be. Um, so we ended up, you know, we attached several different directors and with each director came more drafts. Um, I think probably by the time we were shooting the film uh, with Tom Hooper, I'd probably... I've probably done over 20 drafts. I mean, full, you know, page one rewrites. Uh, but in fact, what we shot was was a was a sort of slightly revised, very early draft. I mean, it's it's the draft that Tom read in 2008, and um, we've departed from it very little. I mean, I did a very big rewrite for Tom, but we reverted to the previous <laughs> original draft. Um, so when it's you alone in the room and you've done most of your research, what are your writing rituals? Well, that's the point where I like to take the dog for a walk, usually, <laughs> or, or do some unnecessary cleaning. Uh, is always appealing. Um, or more coffee is always a good idea. <laughs> I'm um, I'm quite... I, I can't... I mean, you know, I... I am so envious of writers who have a very kind of steady output and work a kind of office day and and so on. I'm I, I really do have to kind of work up quite ahead of steam and then work in a very kind of intense and erratic way. I don't. I'm really jealous. And I talk. I listen to writers who say, "Well, I worked on that project in the morning and then I work on the other one in the afternoon." And I I want to kind of tear my hair out with grief because I <laughs> I just I'm so monomaniacal really when I work. Um, and it would be so great to be able to juggle projects like that, but I just can't do it. Um, and and in a sense, the pleasure of it, I think, for me, is in the monomania. You know, it is in the immersion. And so I, I just don't understand that, that idea of being able to dip in and out of things. Um, so, you know, I've got an office uh, that I rent around the corner from my house that I, I think I probably haven't been there for about three months now. It's the most expensive storage unit in history. <laughs> um, it just it sits empty um, for a great deal of the time. And very occasionally I go in and I think, God, this is great. I should come here all the time. But actually I work in a sort of upstairs back bedroom, um, and you know I and, and just kind of push myself through the hours. But I'm I mostly kind of you know leave it as long as I possibly can before I start and then write pretty hell for leather. 
you know, and, and I kind of write, have to set myself deadlines and write to the wire. Um, and if I ever tell you you're going to get something, you know, by Friday afternoon, you'll get it at, you know, 11.59 that night so that it is technically delivered on time. But, you know, I'm just, it's like a sort of endless essay crisis. And I'm going to try and stop doing that because I feel I'm a little old to be working that way. But, And it's exactly, it's all the things I tell my daughter not to do when she's doing her homework. So I'm, I'm trying to learn to practice what I preach, but that, unfortunately that is how I do it. Um, so what makes a good story, in your opinion? Well, lots of things make a good story, but I, I, I guess. But I, I think if you don't, if you cannot identify with the protagonists, even if they are people who seem, you seem to have absolutely nothing in common with, if you cannot identify with them, then no amount of plot is any use. You can have the most ingenious plot in the world, and you know if you don't if you can't locate yourself in it then it's 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 simply pointless is there any advice you'd like to give to upcoming writers or any advice you wish you had had in the beginning well i think it's really important to hold yourself to a punishingly high standard in some respects and you know i'm i'm a person who has a tremendous kind of anxiety about work i always think it's not good enough and so on but there is always a point at which that becomes counterproductive. And so I think, you know, you have to remember also to just write. Just okay. do it. Because, you know, it's it's not for you to judge how good it is. Just do it. The world will judge soon enough, you know. <laughs> I love the cast. It's such a great cast you have. It's an amazing cast, amazing cast, all of them. I mean, you know, the whole company is really of such a high caliber. Do you write for any a wish list? Yes. Uh, do you write for any particular characters when you're writing, or is it, or is it just kind of how, how do you see the characters in your mind and then versus the actors? Well, this is with this project. I I mean, sometimes when I'm writing, I will, you know, I'll kind of I'll sort of cast around in my head and think, who you know, who is this? Is there an actor who you, you know? I'll just try and sort of place somebody temporarily. Um, and it isn't necessarily, sometimes it'll be a younger version of an actor or, you know, it'll just be a quality that an actor has. Um, but with this film, I didn't do that because I had, you know, I had real life role models. And so, you know, I had, I had photographs of, the, you know, these real people in front of me. And so that that's who I was writing for. In fact, that's who I was trying to write. I wasn't trying to write, you know, an imitation of them. Is there anything else you'd like to share about the film or any other upcoming projects? Well, I'm, uh, you know, this is this has been a long um, this has been a long road. I've been working on lots of other things in the in the meantime. Um, I'm making a film next year with a director called Lenny Abrahamson, who made uh, Room, which is doing very well at the moment. A film that's that's, that's come out here, um, and I'm going to get back to uh, writing another play. It's 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 nice to do a mixture of theatre and um, film for me, and you know, I couldn't be happy that this, 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 the Danish girl, which I've been working on for, you know, for such a long time, although it's taken, uh, you know, a decade to come to fruition, I feel it's it's opening at such an extraordinary moment um, in in history. It's really kind of it's opening at the right time, and I'm I'm really, although I think of it as primarily a you know a love story, I think I, I think it's great that it's that it's also part of this rising tide of um, understanding and interest in, in, in trans issues. Um, and we talk about it in the film sometimes now in terms of transgender, but I, I think it's so great that we're approaching a time where that's, that won't be the thing we mention about it. That's what I'm kind of happy about is that 
you know, we won't talk about it. It'll seem very old-fashioned in 10 years' time to sort of talk about a film as a transgender film just because it has a transgender character in it, you know. That'll be incidental and it'll be about something else, you know. The story's really about a marriage, um, and I'm, but I'm, I'm kind of thrilled that we're part of this rising tide. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter. We also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online, which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset, step two, how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.